Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. I hope you're well. I made it through several months of the pandemic without following this trend, but I'm now in the midst of a home improvement project that isn't necessarily massive, but has required moving all of the furniture out of the bedrooms and will require moving all of the furniture out of the living room once the bedrooms are done. I will be very happy to have all of the carpeting replaced with tile, but it's going to be a long couple of weeks while my parents and I are doing the work. Today's play is one you're probably familiar with. Even if you've never read Medea and don't know most of the story, I bet you know how it ends. But I'm not going to say that here, um, in case you have somehow made it this far in your life without that ending being spoiled for you. I won't spoil for it for you until the end of the summary section of this episode. Medea premiered in 431 BCE and came in third at Dionysia, and that would be third out of three, so... <laughs> Yeah, like I said in the first Euripides episode, his plays were not well received in his time. The story of Medea is best known to modern audiences from this play, but her mythological story is significantly longer than the part of her story that is told here. Some parts of her story are told in monologues throughout the play, so I'll flesh those parts out when we get to them in the summary. Medea plays a pivotal role in another myth you may have heard of, Jason and the Argonauts. In um, the final epic that that we'll read for Greek, Greek epics um, tells that that story of um, the Argonauts. Um, here's the outline that you need to know in order to understand the play we're covering today. Jason goes to Colchis to fetch the Golden Fleece, and he's aided by a princess there. Her name is Medea, and she runs away with Jason after she helps him get the Golden Fleece. After a variety of what I'll call misadventures that will be described in the play, Medea and Jason find themselves in exile in Corinth, and that is where the play is set, outside of their house, about ten years after Medea and Jason first met in Colchis. The cast consists of Medea and Jason, of course. Uh, the other named characters are Aegeus, the king of Athens, Creon, the king of Corinth, and before you ask, this is not the same Creon as in the Oedipus myth. Apparently, Creon was a popular name for kings in Greek mythology. <laughs> the other characters are servants, and the chorus is made up of the women of Corinth. Oh, and of course, there are probably the most famous characters in this play, um, non-speaking roles. Oh, well, I, they have a few lines at the end. Um, the two sons of Medea and Jason. I'm working from Paul Roche's 1974 translation. Um, I like his translations because they're well written as scripts uh, with stage directions and really good footnotes. Um, clearly, my professors liked his work too because almost all of the Euripides that I own is his translation. Um, but you'll have no problem finding free public domain versions online, uh, and I expect that you can even find newer um, newer translations through your public public library, you know, through Hoopla or Overdrive or one of their um, free online ebook type checkout services. Um, because again, it, it this is probably Euripides' most famous work, so you, you shouldn't have any trouble finding it. So with that background, We'll take a short break before starting the summary.
prologue begins with two of Medea and Jason's servants. First enters the nurse. She bemoans that the Argo ever came to Colchis, because if the Argo had never come to Colchis, Jason would never have met Medea, Medea would never have followed him to Greece, and they would never have come to Corinth. She speaks of how Medea has been nothing but a good wife to Jason, but now Jason has gotten engaged to Creon's daughter, that would be the princess of Corinth. Medea has taken this news about as well as you would expect. She is inconsolable. She's homesick. But worst of all, she hates her sons. The nurse is scared of what Medea might do because whatever it is, it won't be good. The tutor enters, followed by the two boys, Medea and Jason's sons. The tutor and the nurse have both been in the household for years and are, well, maybe not exactly friends, but they have that comfortable way of talking to each other that comes from knowing someone a really long time. He asks why the nurse is talking to herself. She responds that she's not talking to herself. She's talking to the earth and the sky. The tutor brings gossip. He's heard that Creon plans to banish Medea and her sons. The nurse finds it hard to believe that this will happen because Jason wouldn't do that to his sons. The servants agree to keep this news from Medea. They can hear her wailing inside the house. The nurse ushers the children inside, telling them to stay away from their mother. The tutor and the boys exit. The nurse continues to cry for Medea and what is to come. The chorus enters, echoing the nurse's concerns. The paradox is almost a call and response between the chorus and the nurse on stage and Medea off stage. And at the end of the song, Medea enters. And her first monologue, it is awesome. She starts by calling out the double standard for if a man withdraws from the public eye versus when a woman does. So, you know, if a man, it's because... He's busy, obviously, and if it's a woman, it's oh, she's just too emotional, right? Where have we heard that before? Then she speaks of how women are the worst treated sentient beings alive. Marriage is a necessity, but there's no guarantee that it will be good. Husbands get to travel and um, spend time with other women if they get bored with a marriage, but wives are stuck at home with just the one. And don't get her started on childbirth. And I have to share a direct quote here. I had rather stand my ground three times among the shields than face a childbirth once. And when you consider the maternal mortality rate at the time, I have to say I agree with her. Heck, even today, maternal mortality isn't as good as it could be. Then she points out to the chorus that they are in a better position than she is. She is not just foreign to Corinth. She is foreign to Greece. The only thing that ties her to this land is Jason, and now he has spurned her. And there is nothing a man should fear more than a woman wronged. Creon enters. Nice guy that he is. He doesn't even bother to say hello before he tells her to pack her things and go and take her brats with her. And he's not going to leave until she does. Medea asks why. Creon says that he sees no reason to lie. He's scared of her. He knows that a woman who has been treated as Medea has is dangerous. And he also knows that there is no woman more dangerous than Medea. Her reputation precedes her. Medea bemoans the fact that her knowledge is considered to be so dangerous. She protests that she has no reason to harm Creon because he is not the one who has wronged her. Jason is the one that she hates. If she can only stay in Corinth, she'll behave. Creon responds that he has no reason to believe her. Medea begs and ultimately convinces Creon to give her a day to prepare herself and her sons. 
Creon feels that this is a bad idea, but he still agrees and exits. The chorus asks Medea what she will do next. She laughs. (laughs) She has a plan. And this one extra day will give her time to kill her enemies, Creon, his daughter, and her husband. The only thing to do now is to decide how to do it. She has to be stealthy. She knows magic, so that's what she'll have to use. After all, her grandfather is none other than Helios, the son, one of those little details we tend to forget, but that Euripides' audience knew well. The chorus sings of the turmoil in the world and how Medea is a harbinger of things to come, a time when women will be independent. Jason enters. He is exasperated. Medea could have had a nice, quiet life in Corinth, but she had to go and ruin it by getting upset that he decided to marry the princess. But even though she's been so poorly behaved, he forgives her. He'll make sure that she has enough money to be okay in her exile. Sure, she may hate him, but he can't bring himself to feel the same way about her, because he's a good man. Um, is my mic picking up the sound of me rolling my eyes? Medea then reminds him of everything she's done for him. Now, in Medea's speech, she mentions the following events briefly, and the ancient audience knew the whole story, so Euripides doesn't go into detail. I'm going to assume that at least some of you don't know the whole story, so I'm going to provide the missing details for you. And it's, oy, as much as I like Medea, she, she is problematic, because the things she's done for Jason are, well, extreme, might be putting it mildly. I mean, we're talking classic movie thriller type stuff here. I mean, it starts out okay. Uh, When Jason goes to get the Golden Fleece, it's guarded by a dragon, and Medea helps out by slaying the dragon for him. But then, well, Medea's dad is pissed that Jason has the fleece and that Medea helped and is running away with this Greek guy, so dear old dad is chasing them, and Medea, Medea knows just how to give them enough time to escape. And this is where it gets um extreme. She kills her brother, and and then she chops him into pieces and tosses them into the sea. And the only way her brother can receive a proper burial is if every piece of him is there. Um, so Dad has to stop to gather up all of the pieces. That is how Jason escapes, and it's also why Medea can't go back to Colchis. Uh, She may be a barbarian, but the people of Colchis still have some standards. Um, And then there is how she helped Jason get revenge on Peleus, the man who had sent him for the Golden Fleece in the first place. Medea tells his daughters that she uh, can make the old king young again, because magic. She even shows them how she'll do it. She kills an old sheep, puts it in a stew pot, works her magic, and a lamb comes out of the pot. The daughters are impressed and agree to let Medea give them the magic potion that made the the dead sheep turn into a young lamb, right? Um, And and so Peleus is killed, um, but but of course Medea doesn't give them the right potion, um, so they don't have the right potion to bring him back from back to life in a new young form. And in fact, it's a potion that, that makes sure he stays dead. Um, and that's why uh, Jason and Medea had to flee to Corinth. Uh, but Medea's not done reminding Jason of everything that she's done for him, because there's more. Sure, she's killed for him, but she's also had his children. 
and this is how he treats her? Where is she supposed to go now? Jason responds that he appreciates everything she's done, but he never asked her to do any of this, so it's all her fault that she's not welcome in any of her previous homes. Besides, she should be grateful because thanks to Jason, she gets to live in Greece instead of the barbarian land of Colchis. And it wasn't his idea to marry the princess. He's perfectly happy with Medea and content with the two sons she gave him. But this marriage, it's such a great opportunity. How could he pass it up? Besides, the boys will be fine. They'll be brothers to the children he has with the princess. Which is interesting given the fact that they are to be banished along with their mother. So fat lot of good that sentiment will do. But Jason either doesn't know that detail or is willfully ignorant of it. He goes on to complain about how women are all the same and get jealous over such silly things like your husband deciding to marry another woman. He knows the world would be better if men could have babies on their own because then they could do away with the problem of women altogether. Medea doesn't have much to say in response to Jason's speech. She is able to respond quite succinctly. She calls him a coward. Otherwise, he would have had the nerve to try to convince her of the positive of his new marriage instead of just springing it on her. They argue for a while, which is understandable. It is not an amicable divorce. The scene ends with Jason storming off and Medea getting the last word, which is one of those quotes that's just too good not to use. God grant that the match you make, you'll long have to unmade. So, you know, you're going to live a long time regretting this this decision of yours. The chorus follows this scene with a song about how love is dangerous and exile is extremely unpleasant. Greek chorus is ever helpful. Thanks. Aegeus and his attendant center. He greets Medea warmly and she reciprocates. He tells her that he has just come from Delphi, where he asked the oracle why he and his wife remain childless, but he can't figure out what the oracle's response meant. Medea pities him and offers to help. She goes on to tell him what's happened to her. Aegeus is appalled by Jason's behavior and Creon's banishment order. Medea grabs Aegeus by the knee and begs for safe haven in exchange for which she will solve his problem of being childless. Aegeus agrees to give her sanctuary in Athens, but he tells her that he can't help her get there. Medea is responsible for getting herself out of Corinth into Athens, but she'll be safe once she's there. Medea's good with this, but she makes Aegeus swear by Gaia, by Helios, who, once again, uh, she reminds us, is her grandfather, and by all the gods, which he does before he exits. Medea then tells the chorus her plan. First, she tells them that there is no way she will leave her children in Corinth, where she knows they will be mistreated. As for the princess, well, Medea has a wedding present for her, a robe and a diadem. The young woman won't be able to resist them, but when she puts them on, the poison embedded in them will kill her and anyone who touches her. But then, Medea weeps at what she must do next. She must kill her sons. They are hers, and she will not allow them to be taken from her. And once she has destroyed Jason's house in this manner, she will flee. She may be the one who made the mistake by running off with Jason, but she will make him pay the price for her mistake. She will take away his sons. She will take away his sons with her, and the possibility that uh, he will have sons by anyone else. So, so she'll take her sons and the possibility of other sons in the future. 
The Course implores her not to follow through with this plan, especially that last part. Why must her sons pay this price? Medea tells them that there is no greater way to hurt her husband than through this action. There's no point in trying to argue. Her mind is made up. She sends the nurse to fetch Jason so that she can put her plan into action. Despite what Medea has told them, the chorus sings a song in which they do try to get her to change her mind. It works about as well as you would expect, especially if you already know how this play ends. Jason and the nurse enter. He asks what Medea wants. She puts on a good show. She apologizes and tells him that she's decided to bless his marriage. She was just being silly. You know how women are. She even has a present for his new bride. And to show just how happy she is, she's going to let her sons take the present to the princess. She calls for them and they enter with the tutor. She tells them that mommy and daddy aren't fighting anymore. They run to Jason, who hugs them and tells them he's made good arrangements for them, whatever that means, and that he looks forward to seeing them as upright young men. Medea cries at that scene, for she knows that this never will be. Jason asks why she's crying. Medea lies and says that it's because the boys are to be banished with her. Maybe Jason could convince Creon to let the boys stay in Corinth? Maybe, maybe he could ask the princess to ask her dad? Jason agrees to try. Medea gives, gives the boys the present. Jason protests, but Medea insists, and let's face it, she's going to get her own way no matter what. Plus, the boys will be useful in pleading their case. The boys, the tutor, and Jason exit. The chorus sings a slightly premature dirge for the deaths that are to come. The tutor runs on stage, followed by the boys. The tutor's thrilled to tell Medea that the boys won't be banished after all. Medea throws her arms around her sons and weeps. She speaks of all of the things she had looked forward to now that they... Now, that now will never happen. No growing up. No fiancés. No weddings. It's all fallen apart. Maybe she shouldn't. But she must. She finally breaks away and tells the boys to go inside. Then she stops them. She can't bring herself to do it. But she must because the princess must have put on the poisoned gown and diadem by now. Still weeping, she says a final farewell to her sons. The boys, also crying, exit. The chorus sings about the heartbreak that can come from parenthood. A messenger enters. He tells Medea to run, escape however she can. Medea is pleased to hear this warning. The messenger is confused. Medea asks for details, and he provides them. Everyone at the palace was pleased to see the boys, greeting them with hugs and kisses. The messenger himself followed the boys to the women's quarters, where the princess had quite the opposite reaction. She bristled. Jason told her not to feel so and urged her to accept their present and to lift their banishment because it will make him happy. When she saw what the presents looked like, she was happy to give in to his requests. Jason and the boys had scarcely left before she tried on her new clothes. She pranced and twirled for a few minutes before the poison did its work. Warning. It's gross. I'll try not to be quite as graphic as Euripides. Um, it... Well, first she starts frothing at the mouth and her eyes bug out. Uh, then the poison leeches all of the blood from her skin. And, and then the diadem catches on fire. And the robe turns into a flesh-eating bacteria. She tries to take everything off, but she can't. And, well, you can imagine how she reacts. It's a long speech. The messenger 
goes into great detail. Creon runs to his injured daughter and does what a dad should do, but that, of course, means the same fate befalls him. After describing both deaths, the messenger wonders if it is ever possible to truly be happy, and he exits. Medea, to quote a completely different place, screws her courage to the sticking place and exits. The chorus sings a prayer to the earth and the sun, which is interesting because, again, Helios is Medea's grandfather. They pray for Medea to change her mind. And then the boys are heard from off stage. Because it is rare for death to occur on stage, we do not see Medea murder her sons. But we do hear it. And the chorus speaks on behalf of the audience, responding to the cries from within. Jason enters and asks the chorus where Medea is. The chorus doesn't answer at first. But then the chorus leader tells Jason that his sons are dead. Once he processes this news, Jason and his servants batter at the doors. But Medea enters above in a chariot pulled by dragons with the bodies of her children at her side. This was achieved through the same sort of machine that was used for entrances of the gods in other plays. Uh, The chariot is a gift from Helios, you know, her grandfather, to keep her safe from her enemies. You know, Jason. Jason curses her and says that it is clear that you can take the girl from the barbarian land, but you can't take the barbarian out of the girl. He could have had his pick of Greek girls, but no, he had to choose a foreigner. Medea rolls her eyes and tells him that there's no way he can win this debate, and more importantly, that she's gotten her revenge by breaking his heart to the core. And even though she shares in his grief, it's worth it. They argue over who is more at fault. Jason asks for the bodies of his sons that he can bury them. Medea refuses. She will bury them. She will create new rites in Corinth to exercise the murder. And then she will go to Athens. Jason? She tells him that he'll end his life by having his skull smashed by a piece of the Argos Hall. Oh, the irony. Jason tells her she'll be punished for her actions. Medea tells him to go bury his bride. They argue some more, and for once Jason gets the last word. But that would be that could be because Medea flies off on her chariot before he is able to finish his last speech. The chorus concludes the play by saying that the world is full of surprises, and this terrible story is now at an end. I know I say this a lot and about a lot of the things that we're reading, but I love this play. Okay, I wouldn't be doing podcasts about all of these things if I didn't love them, but still. Um, Most people know that Medea is the one who killed her children to get revenge on her husband. But Euripides makes it so much more complicated than that. The characters, at least the ones we meet, are multifaceted. Uh, So So as much as we may initially think of them in the flat terms that Medea is the worst because of her final actions, Euripides shows us a woman who is much more than that final act. Um, But before I get to Medea, I want to spend a moment on the princess. She's unnamed by Euripides. We never see her. She has almost no personality. She's in some ways, a representation of perfect womanhood, a foil to Medea. And so we never, we never hear her side of the story. While Medea is complex, the princess is 
flat. But now to Medea. The first thing to note is that she is not Greek. And you'll recall that anyone who is not Greek is a barbarian. And in the summary, I, I didn't apply the word barbarian to her arbitrarily. I, I used it on purpose because of because of her non-Greekness. It doesn't matter how long she has lived in Greece. She will never truly be Greek. Her otherness cannot be escaped. It, it is her otherness that gives her her gift of magic. It is her otherness that means Jason can easily set her aside for a Greek wife. But it is not her otherness that makes her dangerous. Rodia is dangerous because she has knowledge. She knows things. And women with knowledge, oh, they, they can get up to things. They start thinking for themselves. Uh, But this also makes it difficult for us, the audience, to truly understand her because how much can we trust anything she says? She's always, she's playing such a long game. So how, how much can we trust, for example, that she tells Creon she has no criminal intent against him. She has no plans. He should not fear her. Should we believe her? Should Creon believe her? And and if so, would her revenge have been different if he hadn't existed, insisted on her exile? If, would she have only then sought revenge on Jason? And would Creon and the princess, would they have still come into play? Would she have done something that could hurt Creon or just the princess? But is it the exile? I don't know. It's interesting to think about. From the time Jason first meets her, Medea doesn't follow the rules. She is the one to slay the dragon, not him. The princess isn't supposed to kill the beast, right? But she does. She's a reluctant mother. This doesn't mean she hates her children. Quite the contrary, she weeps at her decision. She she almost talks herself out of it at one point. She places the blame for the murder of the children squarely on Jason's shoulders. It's his fault. She withheld the knife, but their deaths are his fault. If he hadn't been so horrible to her, if he hadn't been so horrible to them, to, to the boys, just like he was to her. Um, and, and as someone who hates being pregnant, I get why she would rather face battle three times than be pregnant or go through childbirth. Some women have bodies that love pregnancy, but that doesn't mean it's all flowers and dancing for the rest. And and my sciatica was so bad that there were times I could scarcely walk, let alone dance. But the result, I'm I'm good with that. I'm happy to be a mother. And Medea does love her children. But I think most parents can see the complicated nature that is parenthood. And while Medea, again, is extreme, she embodies that. Um... As I was rereading her speeches, I was struck by how similar some of her language is to Lady Macbeth. And since this isn't a Shakespeare podcast, I don't want to go into a lot of detail on that here. But I did put it as a discussion prompt on the blog. Um, so for those of you who've read both um, Macbeth and and Medea, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on those two characters. Um, yeah. Then there's Jason. Oy, his first speech. It's it's so infuriating. 
Medea is reacting to his actions, but he simply can't understand how his betrayal of their marriage is so upsetting to her. And he doesn't get better as the play goes on. He remains dense and self-centered and unable to understand why Medea is so mad at him. He's just such a bro. Like, oh, girls, right? Women. I mean, am I right? Right. Yeah. Oh, it's he's infuriating. Okay, so this episode is already on on the long side. That summary took almost 20 minutes. Um, So I'm going to leave it here. Um, I posted a lot of discussion prompts on the blog, and I'm sure there is more to talk about than I thought to to include in that list. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this wonderfully complex play. The link to the blog, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read Book 22 of the Iliad. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.